I went to a marvelous party. Most people don't even know the fact that the underlying ideas don't have enough depth to last for an entire season. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California. It's the Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn, the Internet's first live comedy variety show. Featuring special correspondents from the worlds of entertainment, politics, and lousy relationships. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you through thedinnerpartyshow.com with your hosts, New York Times best-selling novelists Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Welcome to a very special Road Reports edition of The Dinner Party Show. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn here in Los Angeles at the beautiful West Hollywood studios of The Dinner Party Show, and live joining us from the conference room at Simon & Schuster in New York City, it's Christopher Rice. The only conference room at Simon & Schuster in New York City. (laughs) The conference room. No, it is one of many conference rooms surrounded by blue and maroon office chairs. In my father's house are many conference rooms. (laughs) Right. Eric, I was telling you earlier before we started that um, a young man from the stock room came to deliver several boxes to this conference room and said, I was told to bring these here. And I went, well, can you deliver them in 10 minutes? Because we have a recording that's about to happen. And he said, yeah, they're right here. And I was like, "Okay, fine. And then when he left, I realized they were boxes of my book. So you'll be hunting him down to apologize shortly after tonight's broadcast. Yeah, you seem to be hitting that point again and again, so I guess I will. (laughs) (laughs) You don't want to piss off people at your publishers, at least not Not until you're home safe from the tour. Not the ones that, uh, you know, move books around. Yeah, not the ones that are getting your books to the people. Yeah, exactly. So you're on tour. You've been on tour for a couple of days. You're in New York, as we mentioned earlier, so... How's it going? What's going on? Tell us about Book Tour. What's the news from the road, babe? Well, the news from the road, the most recent news from the road, is that there are a lot of people in Saratoga Springs, New York, who like the Rice family. We were there last night. Mom actually stayed over in Saratoga Springs. They I liked got her in a so car. well she decided to stay, huh? Yeah, I hope they haven't decided she's the wicker man or the wicker woman. Is that where <laughs> they do that in Saratoga Springs? No, actually, I think that was the United Kingdom, but Saratoga Springs is is such a beautiful, uh, tranquil town that my horror novelist mind said upon arrival, all right, what dark secret is this place harboring? Right, where are those corn children? Right, exactly. The children of the candy corn. It's uh, America, after all. The children of horse races, apparently, because I think it was the first horse racing track in the United States was in Saratoga Springs, New York. Ah. Uh, And they, they, yeah, yeah. So we did an amazing event, the Northshire Bookstore, which is one of the great independent bookstores in the Northeast. They have two locations, one in Saratoga Springs and the other in Vermont, which apparently is only about an hour away from Saratoga Springs. Once you get up that north, the sort of New England state borders are all right next to each other. Uh, Anyway, they put on a great event in the ballroom of the Saratoga Hilton. I mean, it must have been 
I think we signed for about 400 people, but there were about 500 people in in this giant Excellent. ballroom. It was wonderful. We were interviewed by um, uh, Joe Monroe, I believe his name was. He's a disc jockey, or a, not really a disc jockey, but one of the local radio personalities for public radio, and he a interviewed us host. on stage. Yes, cool. Yes, exactly. And that was great. And then we signed books for two and a half hours. Wow. Which was great. It was a half hour longer than we signed books in at Barnes & Noble and Union Square in New York City the night before, uh, which was also a great event. So, I, you know, it's going incredibly well, and I'm happy to say a lot of them are buying my book, too. <laughs> too? Yeah, As well. A lot of people are buying your books. That's right. I mean, I guess the thing to make note of here is you're on tour. This is the first time you and your mom have actually gone on book tour together. Yes, it is. We've done events together, but we've never done a whole tour together, and we've never had a book release. We've on the made same scenes day. at restaurants together. <laughs> Yes. We've had fights. We've been asked to leave some of the nicer country clubs in the greater New Orleans area together, but this is the first time we've been on book tour. Um, You you kicked everything off in uh, Minneapolis, right? Yeah, we did. It was hilarious. We were at the Mall of America. How was the Mall of America? How was America? Were they there? America is great. I have to give amazingly high marks to the Radisson Blue Hotel at the Mall of America. It was one of the most efficient immaculate, well-run hotels I've ever stayed in. I'd never stayed at That's a Radisson. That's high praise from you. And I'm a complete hotel snob, but it was That's just That's why incredible. I say that, yes. Yeah. Uh, it was brand new, I think, too, the hotel. And so, I don't know, give it some time. Maybe stuff will break. Yeah, they'll but, start uh, screwing it up over time. But for now, you know, get in, get to the Mall of America and stay at the Radisson Blue now before it sucks. Exactly. That's their new <laughs> ad campaign, I think. <laughs> right? Um, mom had this... Like she had this, she had a better room than I did, but no. it was like a, a framed paper sculpture above her bed. It was like South Beach meets Minneapolis and, and freezes. It was all very interesting, the design scheme at the uh-huh. hotel. Anyway, but you, you asked about the event. The event was in the rotunda. So the best part was we were sitting underneath a giant uh, jumbotron, which I posted about five pictures of on Facebook. And, uh, you was know, it this like was a the same- scoreboard that was giving score who was selling the most <laughs> books. Ends yeah. moving out ahead with 150 books. Christopher's coming up with, oh, he's got 147. <laughs> right, exactly. No, I wish it had been because that would have been fun. But we were we're signing in the middle of this giant mall, right? And I hear these blood curdling screams, oh. and I think, are those Anne Rice fans coming to like kill us, or that is it the zombie? Likely. Yeah, that's probably it. right. Or maybe the zombie apocalypse, which always in movies always it a happens possibility. at the shopping right. mall. Yeah, where else would the zombies go? You know, you go to the grocery store for food, and if you eat brains, you go to the mall. Right, exactly. So it was the amusement park. There was an amusement park inside the mall, oh, right next wow. to it. With, yeah, with actual roller coasters, and it was crazy. That Mall of America, and it is really huge. The first <laughs> night I walked into it, and I said, "Oh, whatever." I've seen bigger malls in Dallas, Texas, but it's enormous. Oh, I walked around it, can and take uh, the boy they had, out of Texas. Yeah, no, I. Uh, you really can't beat Texas for the most part for shopping malls for big. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, you absolutely. want big? Texas is kind of they're kind of big on that. Um, so right. for just from our the edification of me and maybe some of the party people out there, uh, what's the difference between a roller coaster and an actual roller coaster? I, I just am curious. Well, you know, they have like carnival style roller coasters that look like they're going to fall apart. Uh-huh. 
And then they have roller coasters that actually look like roller coasters. I would say, honestly, that what's in the Mall of America is somewhere in between. You know, I think it's possible to put a tilt-a-whirl inside and pretend like you have a bona fide amusement park. Right. But th this was a full scale. This was like the size of its own shopping mall, and it was just filled with rides. So, what would you compare so, the? Is it like a, one of those old fashioned uh, wooden roller coasters? You know, the, like I'm talking about, or or one of those sort of more modern on the the steel rails flying through the yeah. air upside down kind of roller coasters? It's one of those more modern, that modern kind of roller. They don't have a loop. You don't go upside Aww, down. But I love a loop. Yeah. yeah. Do you? Are you love roller coasters? They I hurt love roller coasters. Yeah, one of my favorite things. It's it's as close as you can get to flying without, you know, leaving the plane, which doesn't really sound all that appealing to me. I guess maybe I'll skydive at some point, but, uh, you know. <laughs> no, you won't. Yeah, no, it really won't. seems very unlikely. It's just one of those things like, yeah, I'm just, I can't see why I would like that. Yeah, you're never skydiving. I, I'm sorry. Oh, is that uh, a rule? No, it's a bet. I'll make a bet that you're never going to skydive. No, that's really, you don't want to do that. Let's not yeah, start well, that. How will That's you how people end up skydiving. Yeah. How will you keep your teapot up straight when you go up to, you know, right. launch? I'll spill my tea if I jump out of a plane. That that right. you know, there's a that's a valid point. You know, Skip, who did some of the voiceover um for your, the trailer for The Heavens Rise, um, actually tricked his girlfriend into skydiving. How did this happen? Basically, we'll have to have him on the show to get Maybe we'll get them both on to tell the story because I'd like to hear her side of it. But basically got her up there just to sort of walk her through it and, you know, more or less threw her out of the plane. You know, like so, I think somebody was attached to her so she wasn't just on her own. But <laughs> I think that, yeah, I think they basically like threw her out of a plane. Like it was one of those things. And she in the end, uh, as as he tells the story, which is why I think having them both on would be the way to go. Um, apparently she was sort of like, well, I'm. She was appreciative because she didn't think she would ever have done it if they hadn't sort of forced her into it. Hmm. But in the moment, can you imagine? God, I, I would can't. make such a fool of myself, screaming and clawing at the frame of the door. And those moments are videotaped now, right? Like I they think, give you little cameras yeah, or GoPros? I think that probably happened. Anyway, we'll have to check in with Skip on that. But yeah, I think that's sort of the... So yeah, no tricking me into jumping out of a plane. Oh, I don't think. You couldn't trick me into jumping out of a plane. Oh my First God. How did, how did that work? How did that work? I got to know. We got to have him on and talk about it because, you know, like a skydiving plane doesn't look like a Delta Airlines regional right? no. jet. Well, I think like he was going to jump and they said, well, you need to have on a, you know, a, a parachute, too, because, you know, just for safety. Like they they he made it seem reasonable. I will really we'll have to get them on to tell the story. But it was I think he tricked her into jumping out of the plane. That's or amazing. threw her out of the plane or dragged her out with him. I, I don't know, but in some way it happened. I tricked my mother onto an Atlantis 3D ride at Caesars Mall in Las Vegas once, <laughs> and she's never forgiven me. She put uh, she put the, the glasses up over her head. That's how she rolls. She's all about the grudge. Yeah, she she kind of is when it comes to 3D, but it, it it was she was in mass. She was like, oh 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 oh, the whole ride, you know, was there was stuff flying at us and fish, and this was before 3D movies made their comeback. Right, and she was, you know, it was sort of like primitive people going to the movie theater and having the train come <laughs> straight at them and not being able to understand that it wasn't really a train and running out of the Nickelodeon. Right. It was just like that only in a giant shopping mall in <laughs> Las Vegas. That's right. really funny that you would think that she would be. I mean, she writes these terrifying books. 
You'd think she would well, be you know, more, you know, hardened to the thrill ride, but that she would, that just a, a VR thrill ride would give her the, the heebie-jeebies is kind of a riot. Well, you know, it's interesting because we've been talking about that a lot on the tour. Like, how terrifying are her books? Because The Heavens Rise is probably, I don't know, more of a traditional horror thriller than anything she ever wrote. And a lot of people have been asking her whether or not she considers herself to be a horror novelist. We talked about it right. on our Heavens special. Uh, and I, it's interesting because it, it, she writes about so much from the point of view of what you would consider to be the monster that it moves beyond terrifying and into, I don't know, I don't even know what the word for it is, elevating or alternate reality. I, it's interesting. I, I, I think that... I think it's uh, a really good point. I mean, her work tends to be more sort of in the, like, character-driven Right. That yes. it's that it's, yes. it's more about from the point of view of people we would consider monsters and considers the possibility, I think, was what appealed to me from the start, that we are all monsters. Right. You know, in our own way. We're, everybody is somebody's monster. And the fact that I am different than other people, it does not, you know, necessarily make me a monster. And what she explores is, how I guess, in the end, how we are all similar, even vampires and, and whatever. There's some, like The Mummy, I think, tends more towards horror than um, than the vampire books do. Right. And there's some aspects of uh, the witching novels that are more sort of, uh, yes. I, I would say, tend more toward the Taltos and all of that, tend more towards a kind of horror um, feel to them. Right, I agree. Then, but the vampire ones are really more sort of gothic, um, romantic kinds of uh, character explorations that at well, the let's core not, about vampires. But Right. Let's not forget how terrifying Queen Akasha is. I mean, that I, that could be considered I, I guess you're right. That's she, true. When she reawakens and begins the slaughter of the vampires, because what's scarier than something that can slaughter other vampires? Like, what do you, and her plan is By world just thinking domination. about them. Yeah, right. and then she wants to take over the world. So that does tend to have some of the old themes of of horror, but it's still sort of fueled with that. Your book, I, now, The Heavens Rise is just full-on terrifying, and mm-hmm. I guess, like, I don't want to do spoilery stuff because I, I think that the surprise is what makes it so remarkable. The, the invented mythology that is at the core of uh, Heavens Rise, to me in some ways, explores some of the same themes that we've discussed in your mom's books, but but it does so from, I think, a more sort of uh, horror perspective. Yeah, I agree. I, like, it's so funny. I, I was on the Derek and Romaine show the other night. You remember when we, we went on the Derek and Romaine I show. I love them. How were they? Yeah. They were great. Can and people I still on- listen to it? I'll tell you, you know what? It's a subscriber-based uh, service, Satellite Radio, but they post post or will post a large chunk of the interview on their SoundCloud profile. Oh, great. Which we so can we'll share. put it on. We'll share that on the Facebook page so people should look out for it there. Yeah, right. And there's a little highlight, I think, from the clip where I was explaining the science of the mind control powers that I write about right. in The Heavens Rise. And I was saying, well, basically, you can be infected with this mysterious parasite that metabolizes part of another person's soul. And it opens a connection between you and them. Right. And while that connection is open, you have complete control of their actions <sighs> and their body and all this sort of stuff. Right. It's terrifying. Terrifying. And Romaine says to me, I'm not really sure I understand the science behind that. And I said, <laughs> Romaine, I made up the science. That's why you don't understand it. It's called science fiction. 
I got her gun. I love that. That's really brilliant, the science. Well, that remain is because this is fiction and there is no science involved. (laughs) This is not a science book. I am not here to tell you about mind control. You can't actually do that. Not yet. Well, it's like you used to say when you were in advertising and people would say to you, can you guarantee me results? And you would say, if I could, I'd be working in finance and not messing around with you in advertising. Hell with advertising. If I actually understood the science of mind control, I would be out controlling the minds of people who need a little guidance and not bothering with a little fiction. (laughs) Yes, that would be a wonderful way to we should perfect the whole mind control thing and then go run for office. Right. Absolutely. To get some things done. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So I hear, you know, I've been on, on book tour and I've been very busy and I've been thinking a lot about me, which is, I guess, not a big departure from the norm. Um, But I hear that the government reopened this week. Oh, yeah. Apparently. Apparently. Yes. As a personal favor to us all. um, Yeah. The spiteful uh, domestic terrorists who've been holding our country (laughs) hostage to try and get, you know, hold my breath until I turn blue uh, school of trying to get their way about political agenda development. Like it, it is it is astonishing to me that grown people thought that I'll hold my breath until I turn blue was a bargaining tactic for legislative agenda pursuit. You know, like if you I, right. I, I, I think it's perfectly fine to disagree with uh, the Affordable Health Care Act or anything and to pursue through legitimate uh, legislative and political means those kinds of ends. But I'm going to, you know, uh, do what I want or the pig gets it. You know, like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, that's not how that's that's not how adults actually get things done. So, yes, as a favor to us all, they've reopened the country that we already paid for um, and mm-hmm. allowed it to do the things for us that my favorite part is the astonishment of the people who closed the country at all of the things they wanted the country to still do for them that they were, right. for some reason, unwilling to pay for. Like, that. that's really... The, my, my all-time favorite is that jackass from Texas who literally voted to shut down the government having the temerity to go to a national monument and scream at a park service, a park ranger who was working without pay um, at the site, which was closed because he closed it, and screaming at her because it was closed. It was like... And telling her she ought to be ashamed of herself. The 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 unintentional irony of that moment, like she ought to be ashamed of herself. I, I couldn't believe it. I did see that clip and I was just flabbergasted. And I don't know. It was almost like that man believed he was simply performing for a very narrow and uneducated and uninformed uh segment of his own electorate. I'm his, sure uh, that was the case. Because I know there's another clip now floating out there of, of Sarah Palin getting shouted down by veterans at a rally. Who Called saying, her an idiot. You're shut. It, you're the ones that shut this down. Like, right. shut up. It's you're your an fringe, idiot. That's fringe brilliant. Wing of the party. Yeah, yeah. I just, I like the the. I think that has been the astonishing part for that entire group. You know, it's like was the was the fact that 
that the country has responded in such a negative way that that everybody is holding them responsible and nobody thinks it's okay. And 70 percent plus of the population at large, not just, you know, including their own uh, constituency, thinks that they were pursuing their own personal political agenda at the expense of the rest of the country. Nobody thinks this was a good idea. I, I I'm hoping that we will return chastened to the business of actually running the government in a reasonable right. period of time. But, uh, but you know, I've, I've hoped that before. I, I, I don't know. This just feels differently. This feels like a realization, an awakening from, a, you know, people have been disabused of this notion of this kind of mm-hmm. domestic terrorist, domestic Taliban kind of form of governance and and the fact that people actually want the government to work and perform on their behalf. Anyway, we'll see what happens. But meanwhile, it is really nice to have the country back up and running and not to have defaulted Mm -hmm. on our debts um, in abrogation of the Constitution that guarantees that we won't. The Constitution Mm -hmm. that they're so fond of referring to that says we absolutely will not default on our debts. Mm-hmm. Anyway, 14th Amendment aside, um, we're going to take a little break and we will be back uh, with more from the road with Christopher. Maybe we've covered the government thing um, We've got and uh, chit chat about what's what we're watching on TV while we're on the road and uh, travel uh, arrangements and what's coming up next on the road for you. And uh, I don't know, whatever else occurs to us, that Charlie Hunnam guy, you know, maybe a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, Anyway, so we'll be back in a few minutes with more of The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn and our special Road Reports edition. And now, in keeping with The Dinner Party Show's tradition of celebrating literacy and the written word, we bring you an excerpt from one of this week's best-selling audiobook titles, the latest release from multiple Edgar Award-winning mystery writer Edward Lee Hopkins' Bruce Feather. The Los Angeles Review of Books describes Bruce Feather as a cross between Cormac McCarthy and that uncle you can never get to stop talking about Vietnam. His latest book is called The Ever-Breaking Heart of the Fallen Angels. It's his 19th novel featuring Jimmy Assaker. I awoke to the sight of lions tearing the flesh from a gazelle. I watched in horror as the gazelle's blood flowed red and unstoppable as the baby's insides. The lion's eyes a-twinkle with primal ferocity and raw appetite, delighted in the gnashing of flesh and bone which they had initiated in the morning light of a forsaken dawn. I was powerless to stop them, powerless once again to stop the slaughter, just as I had been powerless to stop the murder of Suzelle Latrell a week before. But I couldn't tear my eyes away from the hot red commerce of death and destruction, which often led me to commit acts of inexplicable, plot-advancing violence against my adversaries. Then my wife walked in and changed the channel to the Today Show. I never saw what happened to the gazelle, but I'm pretty sure it was toast. You gonna ride and get me some milk, Jimmy Assaker? I couldn't bring myself to tell my wife that the side of milk's inexorable white flow always reminded me of a man named Hyatt Dirt Dauber who I'd shot through the heart with an Apache crossbow when I caught him fornicating with a young prostitute girl whose parents had been trampled by wild elk when she was five years old. 
Hyatt was a sick bastard who liked to drink milk while he had sex with young prostitutes. Are you going to give me some milk or not, Jimmy? I agreed to my wife's intrusive request, if only because it allowed me to walk for several blocks, focusing on every atrocity I had ever witnessed or heard tell of in my lifetime. But eventually, my thoughts of the Titanic and the Jonestown Massacre coalesced around an image of Suzelle Luttrell that had run in our local paper the week before. She was a sweet, pretty girl, as all murdered girls are. Before her death, she had been stripped naked and her clothes had been strung from telephone lines all over town before being set aflame by her killer in five different locations. Her only son was missing, presumably sold into white slavery, and someone had released wild dogs into her home where they had urinated over every inch of her small, humble house before someone had driven a Mack truck through it. It was a hell of a lot of trouble to go through to kill a girl who worked the counter at Walgreens, but the police didn't have any leads. They only really cared about all the burning clothes on telephone lines because that had shut down a few roads and people in small towns hate that. I tried to focus on what I knew about Suzelle as I walked to the grocery store, but the sounds of passing cars were like fallen angels being dragged behind trucks by chains through forests of stinging nettles while trained seals barked nearby because they were getting tased by a Nazi stormtrooper. Suzelle Luttrell, sweet, innocent, now her son was missing, her house a ruin that smelled of dog urine and diesel fuel, and my tired behind was going to the grocery store to get some milk because my wife didn't want to hear me complain about another terrible hangover. In the grocery store, I began to weep uncontrollably at the sight of a little girl who would have looked just like Suzelle Luttrell if she'd been five feet taller and about ten years older and had corn silk blonde hair instead of short brown hair and a page boy cut. Still, the time it took me to weep was also the time I needed to remember where the milk was. I was wandering down the aisle in the direction of where I thought the milk should be when I felt movement on the back of my neck. I spun on my attacker. Images of tracer fire and jungle fields bathed in Agent Orange lit up my vision. Even though I'm 65 and subsist entirely on a diet of chili con carne and Jack Daniels, I use several jujitsu moves to land my attacker flat on his back on a pile of canned peas. I saw, to my shame, that it was one of the checkout kids, fresh-faced and innocent, and obviously eager to find out if this old man had been lost. I almost apologized before I realized it had been almost half a chapter before I'd done something rash and reckless as a result of a flashback to Vietnam. And so I continued on, weeping, to find the milk. On Monday, October 21st, Anne and Christopher will be signing together in Lexington, Kentucky at Joseph Beth Booksellers at 7 p.m. Then, on Tuesday, October 22nd, Christopher flies solo to Fort Walton Beach, Florida, where he will read from and sign The Heavens Rise at Books a Million at 7 p.m. Christopher will also appear solo in Decatur, Georgia, at the DeKalb County Public Library on Wednesday, October 23rd at 7.15 p.m. And on Thursday, October 24th, Anne and Christopher return to New Orleans for a weekend of special events, beginning with a meet-and-greet at St. Alphonsus Church at 8 p.m. Then, on the night of Friday, October 25th, Anne and Christopher return to the Lestat Reunion Ball for the first time in almost a decade. The ball begins at 9 p.m. 
On Saturday, October 26th, Christopher heads to Covington, Louisiana, on the north shore of Lake Pontchartrain, where he will read and sign from the Heaven's Rise at Books a Million at 2 p.m. Then, it's back to New Orleans, where Anne and Christopher will return to Garden District Books for a special joint signing event at their beloved hometown bookstore on Sunday, October 27th at 1 p.m. We're back with the special Road Reports edition of The Dinner Party Show. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn, and live from New York at the conference room, the conference room at Simon & Schuster, one of the many conference rooms at Simon & Schuster Conference Center in New York City, is Christopher Rice. We need to give it a conference room name like Studio 1A, Conference Room B7. (laughs) B12. B12. Hi, exactly. Conference exactly. room. Be all jumped up on conferencing. It's Christopher Rice from Conference Room <laughs> B12. Um, and it's sort of like a it in your your novel, The Heavens Rise, which you're out on the road promoting right now, is kind of a horror science fiction sort of mashup. And so is today's broadcast, because in addition to being live from conference room B12 at Simon and Schuster, you're also on your way to Lexington, Kentucky, where you're going to run in the Preakness or something. I, I right. I was in Saratoga Springs last night, and uh, now I'm now I'm on my way to Lexington, Kentucky. I'm in so many different places at once, but they all have horse racing in There's common. A theme I'm not sure what the right? deal is. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, it's the You're So Vain tour. I know, right? right? You it's went up to the... Saratoga. I, I hear you went up to Saratoga, to, and your horse naturally won. Are you going to Nova Scotia later to see a total eclipse? No, no, we're not. And I'm just going to pretend like I know what you're talking about. Are these lyrics from a song? From You're So Vain by Carly Simon. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, You're So Vain. You probably think this book is about you. It was also the um, tagline from that book I wrote with that drunken whore. Everybody drink. (laughs) The fuck are you doing? (laughs) What the fuck are you doing? Right? Now I'm cursing in the Simon & Schuster conference room. No, you'll be asked to... Yeah, uh, write a book about it. Um, yeah. So the point is, you're on tour. You're out on the road. So where are you going to be? It's Sunday now. So where are you going to be next? Well, I'm on my way to Lexington, Kentucky, and we will be doing an event at Joseph Beth Booksellers, which is actually a large independent chain that I don't think we have out in the West, but it's uh, it's in the Midwest and uh, the, the High South, the Upper South the Mid-South or the Mid-Atlantic States, as they call them. Uh-huh. So that's going to be 7 p.m., and that's a joint event with my mother, and that's going to be a signing only. Um, so if you really just want to get your book signed, you hop on in. And then, <laughs> this is the exciting part. This is the exciting part. I'm going to the Books a Million in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. Oh, now that's a solo event, right? That's just you. Uh-huh, that's a solo event, and there's a story to this event. Oh, what's the story? This, this is an amends event, in a manner of speaking, because I falsely accused this bookstore of not stocking my books for possibly homophobic and Christian fundamentalist reasons. I was told as much by someone at a conference, and I Uh-oh. fired off my Facebook page oh, dear. without checking any of my facts, and my mother repeated it on her oh, Facebook page, no. so people thought, and it was horrible. <laughs> and uh, I had to... Um, you know, I told the story. I'm so sorry. I'm uh, there's no excuse for this. What can I do to make it better? And they very graciously invited me to do an event at their location, which uh, I will be doing. So I will so, be. Uh, 
Welcome to the special apology tour event. Right. I- Fort Walton Beach books a million. And when when will you be there? That'll be Tuesday, October 22nd. So this Tuesday at, at 7 p.m. in the evening. At 7 p.m. in the evening. It's uh, at the books a million at 417C Mary Esther Cutoff Northwest in Fort Walton Beach, Florida. I used to vacation there when I was young. We had a condo. We actually still have a condo in Navarre Beach, Florida, which is close to Pensacola. And uh, the affectionate nickname for this area, or not so affectionate nickname, is the Redneck Riviera. And I, I was a proud. That's a very endearing term. I hope so. I think it's charming. I I don't know. I guess maybe some people are offended. I think it's kind of a badge of honor, isn't it? To be a redneck. I think people sort of say it as a kind of a... Uh, uh, you know, a personal achievement. That whole uh, the didn't they have some sort of redneck games on your favorite show on Honey Boo Boo? It's not or? my favorite show. It's not my favorite show. Okay, it's just one of. It's, I actually I gave up on Honey Boo Boo. <laughs> I reached a natural no. endpoint at I the end of the second it. season. I I'm not going it. back. I don't I'm believe it. Back. I'm not going back. I just don't uh, believe it. I don't think that's true. They did go and attend the redneck games on Honey Boo Boo, and they do have a phrase you better redneckanize. So I, I sure I should say that a bunch at my Fort Walton event. Hey, thanks for buying my book. You better redneckanize. And I think Jeff, Jeff Foxworthy has literally made himself a billionaire by just simply saying that he's a redneck every time anybody puts a microphone in front of his face. <laughs> I'm a redneck. Hi, I'm Jeff Foxworthy. You may I'm be a redneck. redneck if your name is Jeff Foxworthy and you're talking in this <laughs> microphone. Like, I think he literally has, I think that's his whole, I, I don't think he does anything else. I think he just goes around being a redneck and saying that yeah. he is one. And I think people sort of, I th- so I don't think that it's not an endearing term. So you'll be the redneck Riviera par- portion of your tour. Anywhere else on the Riviera there? Or are you then, where are you off to after uh, Fort Walton? Atlanta, more specifically Decatur, Georgia. I'll be at the DeKalb County Public Library on Wednesday. Great. I love that you're actually going to a library. That's very Uh, cool. mm -hmm. Now, that's just you? That's just me. Those are two solo events. Solo events. Excellent. This weekend, we hit New Orleans. Mom and I take New Orleans by storm, and we will be appearing at the Vampire Lestat Ball for the first time in almost a decade. Way cool. Yeah, and then we will. I will be doing a solo event in Covington, Louisiana, on Saturday at their Books a Million at two p.m. Uh, and then uh, we do a joint signing at Garden District Books. Now, Garden District Books is kind of our hometown uh-huh. bookstore. It was uh, where she popped out of the coffin. It was. It was. A, <laughs> a, the Are you all going in coffins? No, it's a much more sedate tour this time. I have to say, uh, the the big uh, you can wrap yourselves around... up in toilet paper and go as mummies. That's true. That would take a lot less work and a lot less rental fees. I think the suspense on this tour is: Will Mom be able to leave her choker on for the entirety of the signing? She wears these beautiful choker kind I've of necklace seen things. Them. Yes, they're gorgeous. And then she uh, wants them off immediately. It's like she reaches a point where she's like, she can't have this on my neck anymore. So, <laughs> Do they have like a choker wrangler who comes in and unties her? Or do you take off the choker? How does that happen? That would be Beckett, her, ma- her jack of all trades. Beckett who is, is the choker wrangler. I think we should get the, business he's, cards. He's the everything wrangler. Last night in the course of several minutes, we had to send him away from the signing table to get mom food because room service was going to shut down. And then he had to go get my cell phone because I'd left it in my room to charge in my car. It was just very dramatic. It's going to be, you'll be read about it in all the papers, I'm sure. I'm sure. Daily Variety will probably have a, a special uh, edition 
it, you were doing the signing last night at the at the hotel or at the, yes it isn't really last night i shouldn't say that it was you were doing the signing thursday night at the hotel in saratoga springs yes it was such a big event that they had to rent out the ballroom or they do this for big authors but yeah it was in the the giant ballroom at the saratoga hilton and the oh. store itself is just down the street northshire books yeah yeah um, but it was beautiful. So anyway, that's all the that's all the the schedule stuff. And then um, you know there'll be a few dates after that, but we'll talk about that on next Sunday's show. Okay, but for but this we- week now, can people go to the Lestat Ball or no? That's a private event or how does no, that no work? no no? It's a ticketed event, and I and I think you look online if you search the Vampire Lestat Fan Club. And I'm sure Shea Butters will be able to put up some links on our Facebook page. It is, you just buy a ticket. And I'm not sure if it's sold out. I don't believe it is. Um, but there's also a, a kind of conference associated with it um, called Undead Con. And it's run by Sue Kiros, who used to work for us, used to be my mom's assistant many years ago. And she's one of the founding members of the Vampire Lestat fan club. And they put on the ball every year. So the and website, this is the I think. the first time she's been in like 10 years or something, right? Yes. Yes, the first time in a decade. Huge. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And that. So yeah, Friday. That's Friday night. Friday the twenty fifth. And a lot of people who are yeah, Friday the twenty fifth. And a lot of the people who are listening, uh, some of you may be headed down there for the Halloween in New Orleans circuit party. Although I'm not sure how many circuit queens listen to our show. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But. But this is the this event does not conflict with the costume ball for Halloween's in New Orleans. It conflicts with the dance party that's costume free. So if you're looking to step away for a night and get a get a taste of Anne Rice's world, uh, you can do that on Friday. Get your goth on big, with Anne yeah. Rice at the Lestat Ball. Yeah, and if you can't make it to New Orleans, it's also the night that the completely Anne Rice informed version of Dracula premieres on NBC. Yeah, I, I've seen the scenes from it, and it's like, oh, this is the Anne. This, if Anne Rice wrote Dracula, this is what it would. It's all about his romance and how he's in love with this woman who he doesn't want to turn into a vampire because he has too much respect for her. And yeah, it's Lord. yeah, it's the it's the romantic, angsty vampire. Well, let's talk about to, that because mom, mom surprised me on stage at the Saratoga Springs event and said that she's not watching American Horror Story Coven because she just doesn't she doesn't want to see if it's too close to her work. Now, I haven't seen the second episode. I saw the first episode. I don't actually think it's very close to her work I don't think at it has all. Anything I, to do with her? It's it's complete. It, it could not be less evocative of anything to do with Anne. I, I think Modern Family is more akin to Anne's work than <laughs> than America. This version of American Horror Story. There's just simply nothing to do with Anne um, involved in it. It lacks um, any of that sort of um, depth or character development. I, I think it's sort of amusing. It's a very YA take on the whole thing. It's very sort of young adult. It's very teen girl driven. Um, the, the episode continues in the same vein. The, the, there's, you know, reasonable enough development. I'm not even sure I'm going to be able to stay with it. It's not as interesting this season. The first season of American Horror Story was such a remarkable piece of television. They almost did themselves a disservice because I don't know how you equal that. The second season was really just horrific and I, I honestly, if I hadn't loved the first season and wanted to see how it worked out, I'm not sure if I would have lasted through the right. whole of the second season. And the third season, 
you know, it's all right. It's sort of cute and they're amusing lines. And um, Jessica Lange's character, she's playing such a divine, horrible bitch um, diva that you that sort of keeps it informed and keeps it moving along. But uh, I'm good. I can see getting bored with this and stopping halfway through. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm, it may pick up. And I've heard that the boy plot starts in around episode six, which I think is too long a wait for Ryan Murphy fans. But, you know, it's your show. Nobody asked me. And you mean by that, you mean the gay boy plot? I assume so. Okay. Uh, but okay. uh, but less of just teenage girl witches at teenage girl witch school in New Orleans. That's what it's about. It's sort of, you know, uh, dumbed down Harry Potter for teenage girls set in New Orleans at a witch school. That's really the that's this season. And it's not terrible, but it isn't up to the first season standards. And it is as far from being anything to do with Anne Rice as any show that's currently on television today. I, the evening news has more to do with Anne Rice than, right. than this show. Just nothing right. to do. Um, Yeah, I think the big news this week, you know, aside from, you know, that thing about reopening the government, though, is really more in the movie side of the business. Um, Charlie Hunnam's decision to depart from... Dun, 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 Fifty Shades of Grey. Like, yeah, I was stunned. I was absolutely wow. stunned because there was such a hullabaloo over the casting of that. I don't know why. I mean, but you were talking to me. We were talking the other night about this, and and uh, you were seeing some news items about how much he was well, really getting Well, the Hollywood paid. Reporter, the two things that I'm seeing and that the Hollywood Reporter is uh, confirming um, are that, one, um, Charlie, who is apparently a writer— as well as being incredibly hot. Um, very hot. Very hot. And we're all very disappointed that we're not going to see all of his hotness in the upcoming uh, months on the big screen and in our private DVD collection immediately thereafter. Uh, is uh, Was very disappointed with where the script was going and got into it with wrangling with the director over the creative direction of the play. But in addition, was really only being paid $125,000 for the work. What? Which, which I just find, I mean, that's like two episodes of a TV show. Like, uh, it's a lot of money. I don't mean to eschew. I would love to have $125,000. In fact, I'm going to send the dinner party show a bill for $125,000 just to see if I can get it immediately after tonight's uh, performance. Yeah, that's what I'm figuring. You won't get it. Like, yeah. it's a lot of money. I don't want to make it seem like I think $125,000 isn't a lot of money. But for a movie of this heat and this level of whatever, like, that's they got him for a bargain if he agreed to do it for that. I'm sure there's money on the back end, and I'm sure there's another side to things. But just the same, that's not a huge amount of money for somebody who's got his own TV series and, you know, a substantial working actor in in Hollywood. He could literally earn that probably in two to three weeks on his own show. So it wasn't like they were paying him a bunch of money. And then he creatively was clashing with the director. The thing that I think is the most remarkable is production is scheduled to commence on November 1st. So they've got two weeks basically, to cast this show and this movie and get it into production. So they're really under the gun. I'll say, I, you know, and I don't know, like, who's runner up? I mean, a lot of the people that the fans wanted 
seemed to be disqualified. There was great controversy around Matt Bomer because Brett Easton Ellis tweeted all those ugly things about oh, how he, he couldn't just play says the role stuff to get attention. When are people going to yeah. wise up to Sarah Palin and Brett Easton Ellis? They and what's that woman's name that says with the blonde conservative woman who just will say and culture. And culture. Those people just say horrible things to get people to pay attention to them and quote them. Y'all should stop. If you stop paying attention to them, they will go away. Well, that's definitely true. And Brett Easton Ellis, it's his strategy to be the screenwriter of Fifty Shades of Grey didn't work out. And that those tweets seem to be part of it. And I'm not sure who was advising him on that front because it was a terrible plan just to get a job. But yeah, I, who's the runner up here? Like everybody thought Robert Pattinson just because he had done Twilight and, he said and Fifty no. Shades of Grey. Is, and he said no. A long and, time ago. And so, okay, so Matt Bomer, maybe. No, like- Matt Bomer is not. The people that they're putting up um, in the running are relatively, um, are much more minor sort of uh, actors. Uh, the scheduling thing is, um, uh, I, I'm sure, a part of the problem at this late date. There's a, a, an Irish actor who apparently is on that show. Um, I think he plays the sheriff on uh, Once Upon a Time. Um, there's another character actor, uh, who's an Australian guy whose name uh, eludes me. Like there, it is a much more minor group of people who are the people in the final running uh, mm-hmm. than the folks. There may be some big name emerge, you know, as the, the Ashton Kutchner of the, you know, like he did for, uh, two and a half men, but, uh, I doubt it. I think, you know, I doubt it too. In two weeks, I, I, I don't I, think they're going to be able. I'm also hearing that uh, uh, that the Johnson girl, the the girl who's playing the girl in the cuffs, is also uh, getting cold feet. It may drop out of the production with Charlie leaving. So it looks like they are really in disarray. Now, I, the reports here are that um, E.L. James is actually in L.A. and that the decision actually rests with her. Oh, of who to cast as in the role. Who the final casting is going to be. Well, you know, I think let me tell you one of the reasons I think that that it's universal, right? Is that the studio behind this, or I, I don't remember exactly? I honestly who the don't know. But let me tell you why I think all of them have been salivating over this project from the beginning. Because besides the upfront money that they had to pay for it, in an in an age of exploding movie budgets, and a sense where your movie has to cost two hundred million dollars to make more than two hundred million dollars. Right. This has the potential to be a really profitable franchise because they can make it for almost no money at all. So I don't see them doling out big bucks for some A-list star that's going to shoot their budget through the roof on the first day of production because the the appeal of this is that most people acknowledge that the books are not very good, but that they have this intriguing, highly sexual relationship between these two characters that have the potential to be a Bella and an Edward with BDSM thrown in, right? Which is, which I'm not trying to be flipped. That's really how it was written. It was written as Twilight fan fiction that involved these sexual elements, right? So I don't, I don't see them pulling down an A-list star in the next few days to try to get the publicity for it. I think you're right. I think they will go with these more second tier actors and, and which is probably better because they'll be willing to take the risks on the nudity and the sexuality. Well, and I think that's going to be that's that's the problem that I've thought they've had from the beginning is how do you bring what is basically a pornographic book to the big screen without making a porno? You know, like right. How does this? How much do you lose in that translation when you, you move know, away from the actual sexuality? Because it's not like it's this 
you know, spine tingling thriller. It's a book about sex. So if you can't have sex, what do you have? Uh, That's a very good point. And it's almost like, and I'm not saying we have to do this, but we should maybe even consider trying to read the books if we're going to keep talking about the movie. Because when Jack Morrissey was on our show, he said he read the first book and there's almost no sex by the end of that first book. That it's all about their meeting and it's all about their... Um, coming together. I don't know. Maybe the party people can weigh in on how hot and heavy Fifty Shades of Grey really is. But I'm telling you, a lot of the people that I talk to, they haven't made it past the first book, you know, and they're like, oh, God, I couldn't, you know. Yeah. But these are, you know, high minded literary folks. I, you know, I think it's going to have its own life as a film. And so we'll, you know, wait and see. I, I think that there will certainly be a fan base um, as they move into it, but it's going to have to become its own animal. The director is an interesting woman. And so I'm intrigued to see uh, what she does with it. But in the end, um, I, I think a lot is going to, you know, it's going to either work on its own merits as whatever it turns out to be. They, 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 it's the exit to Eden thing. You know, right. your, your mom's um, more sort of erotic book that they tried to adapt to a film and it turned into a Rosie O'Donnell, Dan Aykroyd comedy. You know what I mean? Like, I think what you come up with, the chemistry that you make to make it a movie is going to be what it succeeds or fails on. I, I don't think they can rely on the book in the long run because they can't really bring that whatever it is, they can't bring that to the screen. Right, exactly. I think the big question at this point, though, is who is going to be Christian Grey? Rob Lowe says he could be Christian Grey hair, but not maybe not Christian (laughs) Grey. I thought that was a good comment. I I think we should um, ask the party people, who do you think would be the best Christian Grey? Maybe we could um, pass your suggestions along to all of our influential friends in Hollywood. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, we'll we uh, we'll put a thread up on the on the page and uh, get. I would love to hear who people think. I don't know enough about the book to suggest. The only sort of suggestion I ever made was, and it was really sort of a comment more about um, Mad Men than it was about uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Was John Hammond? I was roundly dismissed that he was way too old and completely inappropriate for the part. I can't imagine kicking John Hamm out of bed, but apparently the. Fifty Shades of Grey fans would. So, uh, yeah, apparently there's a lot you'd have to kick out of bed if yeah, you did. That's been a big story here in uh, Hollywood for a while. Uh, the paparazzi cannot get enough uh, inappropriate shots of John Hamm's lack of underwear <laughs> or uh, foundational support, if you will. And he's apparently been a big baby about the whole thing. And it's like, Boo-hoo, you have an enormous Johnson, you know. Like, I'm so sorry for you. Quit He's a serious actor. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's definitely the impression that I've gotten from uh, his appearance as the, the hook guy, the bubble guy on uh, 30 Rock and uh, in yeah. the bathtub with Daniel Radcliffe and as the young doctors in love or whatever it is they're that series is that I can't seem to find. I think you have to have some weird direct TV. To see I think it, or it. Yeah, it's Ovation. I saw the ads for yeah. it here in New York. Yeah, I would I don't watch know it, but I can't. Uh, so yeah, it would be really nice if they aired that on a channel people can actually uh, get. Well, Christopher, I guess I need to let you get on with your book tour. So you're in Lexington, right. Kentucky on Tuesday, right? Mm-hmm. For uh, uh, let, book signings. See, and- actually, that. That is Monday. I'm on Lexington, Kentucky. Let me double check. I've oh, got Tuesday the is Fort Walton Beach. 
Yes, Tuesday is Fort Walton Beach. Monday night at 7 p.m. is Lexington, Kentucky, Joseph Beth Booksellers. That's me and mom. And then I fly solo to Fort Walton Beach on Tuesday and the DeKalb County Library on Wednesday. And then we hit New Orleans for the weekend. New Orleans to the big easy. Absolutely. Off to the Garden District. Well, my darling, it's great to uh, catch up with you. There'll be more road reports next Sunday, so we'll just leave it at that. Um, If you're interested in the schedule and trying to meet up with Ann and Christopher on the road, together or separately, uh, we'll repost the link on the the Facebook page, or you can go to ChristopherRiceBooks.com, right? That's right, and there's a link on that site, Events and Tour Schedule. So uh, we got you covered. Um, you can always uh, check out the uh, the dinnerpartyshow.com or the Dinner Party Show Facebook fan page for uh, details and upcoming events and lots of pictures from uh, Christopher Rice and Anne Rice's triumphant national tour for the premiere of uh, their books, The Wolves of Midwinter and Christopher's wonderful new terrifying supernatural thriller, uh, The Heavens Rise. I guess it's a horror book, too. Whatever. One of them. I think so. All those, the genre mashup. Pick your own genre. That's my motto. Name your own genre. Yeah. And I, but it also, I think, is invested with the sort of beautiful character development, character driven storytelling that I think makes all of your books uh, must reads. Oh, thank you, Eric Shaw Quinn. All right, Christopher. Well, uh, you know, fly safely. Um, and, I will. Uh, be nice to your fans. And it's great to talk to you. And I'll talk to you again uh, next week uh, when. Uh, the Dinner Party Show returns with our second, not road rules, but road report special on uh, Absolutely. the Heaven's Rise book tour. Absolutely. I'll talk to you soon. I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And I'm Christopher Rice. And thanks for listening to The Dinner Party Show.